The reading this morning is from Mark 12, verse 13 through 27. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they sent him to some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. The Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife, but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he died, left no offspring. <clears throat> and the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. Jesus said to them, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. Reading God's word. Well, it's interesting as we move through the book of Mark that we come upon a passage that speaks so directly to how Christians should relate to civil government, how they should respond when they don't know what should be done, nothing we can relate to in our day or time. We're in a time of great upheaval in our land as people are trying to figure out how to respond to things they like and don't like, and Jesus speaks directly to this this morning. But before we address that in particular, let's just make sure we're, we know where we are in the story here. Jesus has entered Jerusalem on Sunday, what we call Palm Sunday. He's declared himself the Messiah, the Christ, very openly. He, that's run him into great conflicts, in particular this time with the religious leaders. We've now had several days of conflicts around the temple, probably here around Tuesday or so of that week. This, this period uh, that he's, Mark's writing about, we're going very slowly, day by day, through this last week, what they call the Passion Week of Jesus' life. And we see a series of conflicts, last week a very open conflict, where they demanded to know by what authority Jesus had made these claims and had disrupted the commerce in the temple by overturning the, the money changers and by getting rid of the sacrificial system, or at least symbolically as a prophet doing that. And now 
This morning, he's, we're going to enter into a series of questions that he's asked. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I've, uh, I get somewhat intimidated. You might not think because I, I speak in public uh, each week, but when you're asked questions, I've been in a situation where I've, uh, imagine anyone in the room could, you were standing up here, and anyone in the room could throw out any question they wanted about your theology and biblically why you believed what you believed, and you had to defend it. Well, that's called an ordination in our denomination and in many uh, Presbyterian denominations, you stand up before uh, it was about 150 people when I did it, and uh, they basically are allowed to ask you because you're, you're saying this person is worthy to be a, a teaching elder, a pastor in our church, and we want to be confident that you can, you know, you know the, the Bible and whatever. But you don't know when you stand up there what anyone's going to ask you. So when I, I, I tell you, I was pretty terrified. I'd been to seminary, but when you see some of the questions that are asked, and these people are all on your side. They're, they're friendly. You know, they're wanting to, you to succeed in one sense. I, I remember one of the first ordinations I observed before I went through my own. The, uh, the first question was, so can you tell me how someone comes to salvation in Christ? And I thought, well, that's, that's a good question. I can answer that question. That's, you know, whatever. And the, the person up front gave a very good answer about how trusting in Jesus Christ and believing in the resurrection and the cross and sacrifice and gave a very good answer. And, and I thought, wow, that's, uh, that, that, I hope I get a question like that. And then the, the questioner asked this follow-up question and said, well, if it's dependent upon the cross of Christ, how did Moses and Abraham and David get saved since the cross had not yet occurred? I went, uh, boy, I'm glad I'm not up there right now. <laughs> I, I sort of was, and I'm sure, you know, and later I thought, well, I can, and I, you figure out kind of what do you believe, but all of a sudden I realized that to think this way under the pressure of the questions is, can be very intimidating, can be very difficult. Jesus didn't have friendly people. He had the leadership of the religious leadership pounding him with questions designed to trick him, designed to trap him, designed to put him in situations. He was asked these yes or no questions, you know, have you stopped being mean to your dog yet sort of questions where yes and no are both wrong answers to that question. So this is exactly what these groups do. The Pharisees, one of the groups, you've, you've heard a lot about them. Uh, they're you know large part of the, the uh, New Testament. And the Pharisees were a group that believed very strongly in the law as well as the oral traditions. They would talk about what the law meant, and they had a lot of um, uh, rules that they anticipated the people would follow, and they held a lot of sway. And so they come before Jesus, and uh, they say, the, the Pharisees and some of the Herodians who were, were trying to keep Herod in power, it says in verse 13 of Mark 12, they sent uh, sent to him, basically the war committee, Pharisees and Herodians, to trap him in his talk. And they said, Teacher, we know you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. They're buttering him up, boy. But you truly teach the way of God. So think about Jesus at that point. I would say, sounds like you want to be my disciples. I mean, gosh, if that's really true. So they figured after the last confrontation, the better way to do this is to kind of smooth their way in with this, this kind of talk. And then they, they spring the question on him. By the way, their, their presumptions in, in the front weren't, I don't think, even correct to begin with. The way the, uh, 
The way the King James reads it, it says, we know you show no partiality between people. You don't care about that. But Jesus actually addresses people quite differently. For people who weren't interested in the truth, he evaded their questions. But for people who truly want to know the heart of God, he answered them directly. He he does actually show some partiality. But they say, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Yes or no? Trick question, because there was a group of folks in the Jewish community who believed it was wrong for Rome to tax the Holy Land. There's a lot of of literature, extra-biblical literature, that talks about this and this group that was rising up. And so if Jesus says, yeah, no, you don't have to pay taxes, he curries favor with that group, but of course Rome is not going to be too happy about not paying taxes. But if he says, yeah, go ahead and pay your taxes, Rome's happy, but of course the people who think that's wrong. So they see that there's no right answer to this question. Jesus cuts right to the heart of the matter. He's always interested in revealing the heart, not in intellectual sparring. And so he says, show me a coin. Does anyone have a coin? Which tells you that Jesus wasn't carrying coins. We know in several other places that he didn't carry the coins with him. And let's look why. This is the coin that Jesus, that, that probably, uh, the denarius, this, there's lots of denarius still uh, available and they have good replicas. We have Tiberius over here who for over 20 years had been the uh, Caesar. And uh, in case like me, your uh, ancient languages isn't very good, it says Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus. There's this God connection. He's not just president, ruler. He is a God. There was emperor worship. On the rear, to the right, is uh, the goddess Pax, the goddess of peace. And on the end, it says the high priestess, or Pontifus Maximus, is what that says. This coin, it's loaded, carries a lot of meaning. It's like carrying your own portable idol in. It says there's a God on the front, And there's a goddess on the back. So it says, show me this coin, Jesus says, and brings it out. And they look at the coin. He says, whose image is on the coin? You say, Caesar's. And then Jesus delivers this sort of famous line. He says, well, then render to Caesar what Caesar's. But then render to God what is God's. Brilliant answer to a difficult question. A couple of things that I, I take from this, in addition to just what he says, is that when there's conflict, as we look as Christians, we look at what happens in civil government, and we look at all the people are, are, are distraught, and many of you may be distraught over things that are happening in our nation right now, things that are being said, done. Most of us think are a mixture. It's, it's, there's just a great, this transition has is, is got a lot of stuff going on. As Christians, we are to be exemplar citizens. Jesus never gives Christians license to dishonor because uh, government because God installs governments. There are going to be times in our life, and for those of us who are older and have lived through, I don't know what, my 15th president, 20th president, and I've liked some better than others. Probably you have too. Maybe we've liked the same ones. Maybe we've liked different ones. The point Jesus makes here is this, is that while we're to pay our taxes, Romans 13 says, to pay our revenue to the government, the government can't have our affection. 
It can have what's due, the honor that's due, but it doesn't get our ultimate honor. It doesn't get our attention such that we lose the things that God wants to give us. And for for any of you who are, are feeling so distressed about things that happen, whether it's now or maybe four years from now or eight years from now, you'll be distressed. Maybe you're thrilled. Is it to, to the extent your feet are rooted in this world and to the extent that the joy and peace can be robbed from you is an extent we can take a lesson to say that this world isn't our home because Philippians 3.20 says this, Paul says, ultimately, brethren, our citizenship is ultimately in heaven. Yes, we're citizens of this country, or some of you aren't, but for those of you who are Canadian, God bless you, or other places. But for those who are citizens here, yes, we, we have some allegiance and we have um, things that we care about and we should do everything within our power and our legal rights to, to make our voices known for good or for ill, what we think we should say. But the don't give any earthly power the affection of your heart because it is Christ's alone. And Jesus says, give to Caesar all that's Caesar's, but give to God what's God's. His image is somewhere too, just as Caesar's image was on the coin. Where's the image of God placed? Right here, right? Genesis 126 says, let us make men and women in our image. Let us make them in our image. You bear an image, and it is yours to give to God and your affection and your ambition because the kingdom of God will outlast the kingdom of the United States. It will outlast every kingdom ever. There isn't a kingdom longer than the kingdom of God because it is forever and ever, hallelujah, right? Keep focused, keep focused. The Pharisees took their name, Parushi is the word, and it means to separate because they believed in separating themselves from Gentiles, from impure things and all that. There was another group called the Sadducees, the name's familiar, but the two groups warred with each other, and the Herodians warred with them both. They all had different agendas. The Sadducees were aristocratic. They were, uh, they were better politically connected in the time, tied into Rome. They also only believed in the Torah. If it was printed in the first five books of the Bible, they believed it. But no oral tradition and nothing beyond that was able to be a law for them. And so the Torah doesn't really mention resurrection of the dead. And so they didn't believe that the soul had eternal life. Many people in that time uh, of Greek and Roman thought did not believe there was eternal life. So there was nothing beyond this life. So that's why they were Sadducee. Okay. Boom. Now you'll never forget it, though, the difference. So that's a very important difference because the Pharisees did believe that there was the soul was eternal because other places in the Old Testament speak of a rising from the dead. Daniel and other places talk of a resurrection. But the Pharisees, the Sadducees, did not believe that. So interestingly enough, they then asked the next loaded question to Jesus, and they present this very kind of weird, warped, uh, story about a poor woman who has to marry seven brothers coming from a ob- sort of obscure passage as the Leverite, uh, the, the Levites were required to keep marrying 
to keep property within a family, you were supposed to keep marrying. If a brother died and you didn't have, hadn't produced any heirs to keep the land and the property and the family, the woman was supposed to keep marrying brothers. So they just do this kind of convoluted story of, well, this one dies and this one dies. The poor woman, she's buried six husbands and now seven. I mean, gosh, no wonder the woman died. So she finally dies, and, um, and then they say, now, in heaven... Because you believe there's a resurrection. You can just hear the, the sort of accusatory tone. So in the resurrection, this woman, which one is going to be her husband? You know, because she's obeyed the law. And Jesus, again, answers quite directly. And he says this. You are in error. You don't know the scriptures. You don't know the power of God. It says those three things. And then he kind of reverse orders those three things again. He says, the power of God raises the dead. The scripture, and he goes to the Torah because that's what they believed. And so he goes to the story of Moses and the burning bush. And he says, don't you remember that God says he's the God of the living, not the dead? And then he ends with the same Greek word, you are in error. You're badly mistaken. Jesus doesn't bite because they're not interested in the truth. He says, you, you set up this hypothetical question of a situation you don't even believe is going to occur to try to get me to bite. And the question is this, you don't even understand the scripture or the power of God. There's a tombstone that was so common in the day that it became actually abbreviated the way some tombstones were R.I.P., rest in peace. Here was the tombstone that's found all over that part of the world at the time. And again, if your ancient languages are not good, here's what the tombstone reads. I was not, I was, I am not, I do not care. Epicurean philosophy, which was big, Greek, Greek philosophy, that affirmed there was no life after death. The Sadducees believed that all of life was in the here and now. And it influenced because they built a power base for the now. Guys, this is one of the critical questions of how you're going to live your life. If you don't ultimately, really, truly, deep from the tip of your bald head or hairy head to the bottom of your toes, believe that this life is not all there is, that, there, that this is just a breath, and that you are going to exist, your soul will exist eternally somewhere. It makes you should make you the absolute best citizen, absolutely invested in this life, because it counts for more than now. The Sadducees didn't believe that this, this life only counted for the now, and some, Marx and Nietzsche and Freud and many did, who didn't believe in an afterlife thought, Christians just wipe away this life because they're just living for heaven. They didn't understand that because we are eternal, every decision you make now counts forever, not just for a day or a year 
for a thousand years. Those of you who are investing in your children, it counts forever. Those of you who do something kind in the name of Jesus, it lasts forever, not just now. It invests with incredible purpose every decision you make. When you decide to remain pure rather than being defiled by sin, it counts forever. Now, Jesus can deal with our sin because he wipes it away. And so you don't have to fear that any bad decision that you confess and repent of lasts forever because the cross deals with that. But Jesus says, you set up these hypothetical intellectual sparring, and he says, I'll have none of it. Because there's no reincarnation, there's no sense of, well, it's an afterlife of bliss no matter what. No, He says it matters what you believe because there is a reality. But it probably doesn't look as much like this life as we think it might. The Bible says no eye has seen, no ear has heard. The mind can't even conceive what God has prepared for those who, what? Love him. Jesus is trying to give to these dishonest questioners real truth, but he doesn't waste a lot of time with it. We're going to see in the next question he's answered to an honest questioner, some deep, honest answers about what's really important. Jesus spends these last days of his life talking about ultimate truth and importance. To Nicodemus, who came to him by night in John 3 and asked an honest question, he says, you must be born again. For all of us, the opportunity this morning is to take Jesus' words and examine them and decide what we're going to do with them. If we accept them as truth, it changes everything. It's the most important thing ever. That's what I found in my life, and I would encourage you to look deeply because it is the question that will matter for eternity. That if truly we're eternal beings... Please, please decide carefully. I would encourage you to consider Christ, to choose Christ. I can only tell you the difference it's made in my life. I can't prove it to you in a laboratory, but I can tell you that a life that was broken and a life that was pretty shoddy and a life that was full of bad things, God over the last number of years has taken a poor wretch like me and made something good, and it's because of him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for being a God who cares so deeply about truth that you are willing to face accusers and people who wanted to do you ill and wanted to kill you, and yet you spoke such truth and continue to address the heart of the matter all the way until your final breath. Thank you, O Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, making him into someone that we could relate to, we could touch and see and feel and hear about. Lord, strike our hearts with the truths that you proclaimed. Lord, it's difficult sometimes in our world to function on this level and all that goes on, all that swirls around us, how we're to respond, how we're to think about 
all that this world throws at us. But Lord, teach us to function as ones who properly honor our civil authorities while never giving them our allegiance. Lord, convince us of what citizenship in heaven both requires us to do and entitles us to. Lord, and to live in that and in the joy and the peace that can never be stolen away, one that passes all understanding. Holy Spirit, just come and speak to us with each person. Lord, I ask you to just confirm your words, make yourself clear. For those, Lord, who would want to embrace you and know you, I ask as they reach out in a statement of belief and faith to say, I I do believe in you, Jesus. I trust in you. I turn from my own ways and turn to you. As they do that, Lord, and they experience the salvation that follows turning from sin to the cross of Christ for their salvation, show them your way in truth.